So just starting off, maybe could you tell us a little bit about where you're from, like where you grew up and how you came to Boston, which is where you work for Neurable now? Yes, I grew up uh, in Lima, Peru. And well, I all, so I went to school, I was in high school and I don't know where I got this idea that I wanted to work on brain computers interfaces. I wanted to control a robot arm using my brain. I thought it was doable. It should be doable, I thought. And, and probably the idea came in through anime or something. Um, and at the time, I, I, my father is an electrical engineer and I thought, okay, I need engineering for this. So what do I need for brain control engineering? And I thought, okay, I need bioengineering. I, I just kind of reached that conclusion on my own without doing any research. And of course, back then there was not like LinkedIn or such. Uh, we are living in a very interconnected world right now. So I went to... Uh, I got into a really good university in Peru, but that university didn't have bioengineering. So I studied electrical engineering over there um, because I thought it would help, like the EEG signals are electrical. So I mean, understanding them should be helpful. So I did electrical engineering in Peru and they did have a biomedical engineering club. And there I learned how to do like amplifiers, instrumental amplifiers, like building an EKG and see like your heartbeat, like, so the, all, of the, all of that was kind of adjacent to EEG uh, at the end of the day. It's in the same nature of the signals. It's the electrical signals produced by your body. And so in electrical engineering, I learned filtering. I learned Fourier transforms. I learned all sorts of transforms, a lot of calculus. And it really helped me give me a, a good basis on signal processing, which I didn't realize how helpful it could be. But now in retrospective, it's obvious because the signal is so noisy that having a good signal processing base is super helpful. So when you say signal processing, is that like, that's about the, the brain waves and the signals that the brain produces? And then like, how do you go about processing information like that with a computer or another device? Yeah, so a uh, way to think about it. So maybe thinking about it, it electrically is a little bit abstract, but the way you can think about it is uh, with the microphone, which is another type of time series data. So imagine you have a, time, a microphone and you put it on a coffee shop and you want to, um, think um, there is a specific like conversation you want to listen to, but there are hundreds of conversations going at the same time. And there is a lot of other noise, like the street noise and such, uh, so much noise that is not even conversations. And so extracting the signal of interest from all that background noise that is signal processing. Okay, that makes sense. And um, so... So you said that you kind of figured stuff out on your own. So you were self-driven. Were, were there any mentors or people like that that helped you through your journey? And if not, how would you advise students on pursuing their own self-interest without the help of others? Yes. Yeah, so the bioengineering club was amazing, an amazing place for me uh, as an undergrad. I really learned um, there were these, I guess, professionals, they were not, they were they were like close and ending their careers or starting working. There were not professors in the university. They were working at clinicals and hospitals that they were coming to the university to give workshops. And, and so they gave us a lot of these hands-on, like build your own amplifier. And they had all of these workshops and working with them, I guess those were my first mentors. And I, so I would guess the best advice is to kind of join a lab that has similar a lab or a club that have interests 
like the ones that you have. So for people who are interested in BCIs, you need the Neurotech X Club um, can be a, a good place to start. And it can be hard to find. Sometimes you find communities that are very involved, some communities that are dormant. So I guess finding a community that is active is, is critical. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And could you maybe think back to like, after you got out of school and before you have your, like, before you came to the job that you're at now, what was maybe the first like project that like, where you produced something like concrete, like something tangible that had to do with BCIs and how did that work? So I have a few of them. So the first one was my bachelor's, my undergrad bachelor's uh, senior project. And that used um, EMG signals to control a robot arm. So I wanted a robot arm. So if I move my arm and produce EMG signals, to, I wanted to capture those EMG signals and move a robot arm in the same way. Uh, so that was my first approach. And it's still far from BCI because it's not like brain signals, but a lot of the, the signal pre-processing is, is similar, but it's definitely an easier starting point because the muscles are really close to the surface and they are much more independent. So in the brain, you have all the signals at the same time and they are under the skull. So that was my first project. Uh, during my PhD, I did a much more similar project. So after finishing, I came to do a master's in biomedical engineering in Binghamton University, that is uh, upstate New York. And then I did a PhD in cognitive science. So I came for the master's in biomedical engineering because I thought that's what I needed from the very beginning. But once I was in that school, my advisor happened to be an electrical engineer as well, who was also interested in BCIs, but the department of biomedical engineering itself was not interested on BCIs at all. They were like a wet lab, tissue growing, like they are growing organs and skin there. So the people, the experts there were not adjacent to my field at all. And so, and I didn't, like that was a, a part that I didn't know beforehand before going there, but thanks God I met this professor who had also the dream of building a, a BCI. And with him, we got the help from uh, another professor from the psychology department, Sarah Laszlo. And she is the one who really made me grow in EEG signal analysis. And with her and with him, that my two advisors, Champagne Jean and Sarah Laszlo, I made my first EEG project, which was to identify people using their brain waves. So As a you... brain print, we call it, <laughs> as opposed to a fingerprint, a brain print. Okay. So could you just, for like younger listeners, could you just explain what EEG is? Mm -hmm. EEG is electroencephalography. So we have a lot of these E something Gs in the bodies. We have EEG, EKG, EOG. A lot of our organs, our hearts, our eyes, our brain produce electrical signals to, for control. And so these electrical signals, we can pick them up just by putting basically an, an electrode, which is a conductive, like a coin, basically a conductive surface on the skin. And you can pick up these electrical signals. So the electrical signals that come from the brain are called EEG, electroencephalography. So were there any surprising skills that you picked up along the way that you didn't think would necessarily be a part of your work life now, but that kind of just happened along the way with your journey, especially with these two advisors? 
Mm -hmm. So I all I guess because my dad was an engineer, I always thought engineering was my path. And when I was confronted to once I, I was done with my master to transfer to the psychology department to do my PhD in cognitive science. I really had like an identity crisis. I was like, oh, but I'm an engineer. How, what could these people be doing that is so important? And that was just an attitude that stems from ignorance. I had no idea about the cognitive science field. I had no idea what, about what psychologists were doing. And I thought, you know, you just think Freud, right? Like you think if you have no idea about field, you know, just the very basic uh, of it. So, after taking the jump and decided to go for it regardless, I realized that these people are the ones that really are specializing in doing EEG, fMRI, like all types of brain imaging that you can imagine. And not only for clinical applications, because also when you think about psychology, you think, oh, it's just to treat people who are uh, deviating from the norm. But it's, that's the one of the branches does that, clinical psychology. But there are so many branches like neuroscience and cognitive psychology that study, okay, just how things work, like even on the average creature, uh, how do things work? And so that getting into that, I took courses on neuroanatomy, ne uh, neurochemistry, electrophysiology, and with my advisor, I also learned how to set up experiments and the statistical analysis to make sure that my findings are reliable. And all of that came like totally unexpected. So I guess that would be an, an advice I could be I would give is like, if you are passionate about something, don't get trapped by, by your identity. It because whatever you're passionate about might be across many several fields. So for someone who's like heard about BCIs, or maybe this could be their first time hearing about it, um, and they're interested in it, what would you say is like the first thing they should know, or maybe like something that's vital to them starting in BCIs and learning more about it. Mm -hmm. So programming can get you a long way. Uh, I could maybe point them to Kaggle, which is a programming website from Google. Um, and this, this website, website has lots of databases and some of them are EEG databases, but you can start with very simple databases uh, and start trying to uh, do classifications from that point of view. Uh, on very simple databases and try to advance your way to EEG. Uh, that's a, a very like a solitary path, but once you get to some, you know, you can do something with that. You can do some programming, you can do some classification. It's a good time to reach out to somebody who uh, might be having an open source project and you might be able to collaborate. Although I might, might say it's, the machine learning right now is really hot. So it's very easy to gather it um, online. There is lots of open source information out there like Kaggle and others, but the, the harder part for EEG is the signal processing. Harder in terms of where to get that information. I cannot send you to a website like Kaggle to learn that. Uh, there are books <laughs> about it. Uh, I could point you to a few books, but that's that's about it. I wish I could offer you guys a... No, that's good. I mean, yeah, I, I agree that program is like, it seems like the best way to start because it's so important. And 
I've noticed that lots of the hype, like so many people are maybe hearing about BCIs for the first time because of Elon Musk's Neuralink project, which is a brain chip that like goes inside your head. It's invasive, but Neurable, which is where you work, you guys are working on non-invasive BCIs, right? So things you can just wear and you don't have to have like invasive surgery to do it. So it's kind of less scary. But could you tell us a little bit about what Neurable is working on in terms of non-invasive BCIs? Yes. So uh, Rams is, is uh, the CEO of Neurable. He's a guy who was pretty much like me, uh, always wanted to work on brain computer interfaces with the key difference that during his PhD, somehow he found enough time to not only complete his PhD in neuroscience, but also I start the Neurable company, which is quite impressive. And so Neurable has been around for years and he's been thinking, okay, we have these rich brain signals that can give a lot of insight about people. How can we make them accessible to people? And at that time, when he was thinking about it, VR was starting to become a thing. And so he thought, okay, like that's the form factor that is already on your head. So it's very easy to add EEG to that. So that's how kind of the first project from Neurable, it came a little bit too early to its times. Even now, VRs are not so widely. Um, not everybody has a VR headset the same way that everybody has a smartphone mm -hmm. and so or a pair of headphones. And so that's why for the second wave, we thought, they thought, um, what is another form factor that everybody is using? And it turns out the headphones are a big thing that a lot of people are using. Even... Apple has developed like big headphones that go around the ear. And so that's a place where we can put electrodes without having to request the user to wear something new. And so, because that's the biggest barrier, nobody wants to wear an EEG cap. Uh, nobody wants to wear something on their head uh, unless they already are wearing it for other purposes, like listening to music. And so Neurable really has the vision that the future is going to be hearables. Just like now we have to, we live in the smartphone world and we get our phone out all the time to look at the screen and interact and send commands and do stuff with our screens. And you see everybody on the screens. So we're thinking the vision is that really with hearables, the more you can interact with them, especially if you can interact with them without having to talk out loud, it would really allow for the technology to go a little bit to the background. So you can really pay attention to the world you're in. And this is something that just this is happening without really obstructing your vision or you having to take out your smartphone from your pocket or anything like that. So with the headphones that you talked about, like I wear AirPods all the time. I'm always listening to music. And with the AirPods, you can like double click on them and then it skips the song. But with the BCI version, which Nurable is creating with your headphones, like how could you control certain things without even having to touch it? Because it seems like that's become possible, right? Yes, uh, you could use um, some gestures, um, some hands-free, voice-free gestures that we're working on. And so that's one application, but the main application that we're working for our headphones is to read at the EEG signals over time and be able to tell you how focused you are. And if you are getting distracted, uh, nudge you back into focus and if you are if we also see that your focus is very variable that you're having a very hard time to keep your focus high or that you've been focused for hours 
uh, also nudge you to take a break so that you know, so many people don't don't are not used to taking breaks. Or if they take breaks, they feel guilty about it. And and what they do during their breaks also might not be the most restorative thing. So all of these insights we want to give to the users, like, look, you took a break. This is your focus score after the break. And um, these are the activities you did during the break. So we really want to improve mental well-being from that point. Yeah, that's amazing. So what would you say is the most crazy or sci-fi project that you've either worked on or just heard of in the BCI world that you think could become a reality? So that's probably the Elon Musk Neuralink project. Um, when I started on the field of BCIs, I was all for like, yeah, I would get an implant. Like, <laughs> totally, they wouldn't think about it. and But... And now like he's trying to make it possible and making it, the surgery to be as simple as LASIK. I did, I did ask a, a, like a stellar researcher on, on the field, Professor Bierbaumer, and he, like what he thought about having an implant for EEG because he works uh, with locked in patients. Uh, he develops VCIs for them. And I said, look, like, we're going to, this is coming in the next 20 years. What do you think? Isn't it amazing? And he's, uh, he's a psychiatrist and a neuroscientist and, and, and has implemented lots of BCIs throughout the years. And he's like, to, the idea that people are going to get surgery on their brains, <laughs> just for like, without, you know, without being at a risk or anything or without being at, a, yeah, being totally healthy and yet getting surgery on the brain, he thought it was not a good idea at all. So that's the, the biggest challenge I think Neuralink is facing. What is the likelihood that people get infections and such? The brain is highly protected. We have the blood brain barrier. So it's protected chemically and physically. So how feasible is it to have an implant that is like right there in your scalp that won't get infected and it won't give you meningitis, right? And that if if that border is crossed, like you know, if like ten people, one hundred people, one thousand people get this implant, and none of them gets meningitis, and then I think there is hope that this becomes a widespread technology. Yeah, that's interesting. That there's like as cool as it is, there's also many risks involved because you're literally like it's like tons of people having surgery on their brain. But it's interesting that you mentioned that the professor is working on BCIs to help people with illnesses. And could you maybe explain a way that you've heard BCIs are used to help people like that? So in the locked-in syndrome, people who have had ALS for a long period of time, they cannot even use their eyes to communicate. And so there are ways invasively and not invasively and the main difference between these two methods is that the level of noise you have to leave, deal, deal with. Um, so with these methods, you collect the brain signals and you can measure, uh, you can give them a P300 speller or, or measure the response to a certain stimuli or you can ask them to think that they're moving their left hand for yes, the right hand for no. Some, some of these things, and you give them a code, right? So this will mean yes, this will mean no, 
or you pay attention to this, even if you cannot move their eyes, if you pay attention to this area of the screen, um, that menu will open up, for example, if, or if or that letter will get selected. So that's how he works with doc impatience. And sometimes he goes invasive and sometimes he doesn't. And the risk is that once you got invasive, sometimes there is the chance that you'd never hear for them, from them again. Like these people, you know, may or may not be conscious, but they don't have a way to communicate. A lot of them are conscious. And then after the surgery, sometimes they lose the possibility to communicate. So you don't know where they are. So he knows, I guess he knows firsthand the, the challenges of the surgery. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm glad that uh, such a cool technology is being used for something that can actually help people. Um, so obviously there's so many reasons to care about BCI in general, anything from helping people to just the cool new sci-fi ways that we could interact with each other and the world around us in the future. But what is the one thing that you find the most interesting about BCIs and you could talk for hours about? <laughs> I wonder, so it's just this mesmerizing, like the brain is our control center, right? And it's sending these control signals to our arms, our eyes, to pay attention, you know, to read, pay attention, uh, extract the information that we want and interact with the things that we want. And so if this same, control signals could be sent directly to a computer and you can interact with the computer in that same way, then like we would be kind of so free on the, in the, on the virtual world, right? We could really, uh, and I guess that's what a lot of people are talking now with uh, Meta, I don't know, with the full dive of, of VR, so a key component of that, which I don't know if it's possible, is to be able to have those signals that go to your body, to your, to your eyes, to your senses, to capture information and to interact with the world, those signals to go instead to a computer and you can have those functions in the virtual world. And I think that's uh, Elon Musk's main dream is that we have enough bandwidth to, to be able to transmit all those signals uh, in, so that the computer can make sense of them. Yeah, controlling an avatar in the metaverse with just your mind would be absolutely crazy. I can't even imagine that right now. <laughs> so if, um, if you could give one piece of advice to kids who are learning about BCIs right now, or maybe kids who are super interested and want to take their next step, just any one piece of advice, what would it be? Yeah, I would say um, join a community. So if you have a neurotech X branch, or if there is a lab um, that in, in a nearby university that is working with EEG, try to get involved. And the likelihood that you get involved is by carrying some skills under your belt already. So if you can take some online courses, like the ones that are given for free in Calgol, so you already are some have some familiarity with um, machine learning and classification that I think will allow you to have your best foot forward when you try to join these communities. And it sounds like the BCI community, like it's all moving so fast, but is the community for learning about BCIs, is it like really welcoming and are people trying to help each other learn? I think so. The only problem is um, 
people are super welcoming and they really love to share their, their passion. Um, oh, and, and around the same note, we also have a, a Discord at Neurable, so you can join that one as well. Yeah, we love to share and uh, share what we are, our findings, like when we look for papers and such, and uh, give uh, feedback to people who ask questions. So the many communities, because it's such a niche field, many people are super passionate and they're happy to share. The only problem is that some communities can be more dormant than others, especially as their transition from, from being students to be full-time workers, and they might not be working on, on BCI anymore, so they don't have the time to, to work on, this, on these projects as much. So I think people are welcoming, but in a, a community that, that is alive and engaged, uh, that, that can go a long way. So looking for active repositories, repositories that have had updates recently where you can uh, try to collaborate however you, you, you can, those tools will be used massively by lots of people because lots of people are trying to get into the field. That's awesome. And it sounds like Neurable, like with the Discord and just the workplace in general, it seems like a really great community. And Alex and I actually, about a year ago, we got to go to Neurable and do this, what they call a brainwave study. And we put on the, the VR headset and it was some sort of BCI. It was kind of like an EEG cap, but more simplified, but it had like the things that you put on your head. And we got to play this sort of video game kind of thing where you had to select an object in the, the virtual area and you didn't have to use any selecting things with your hands. You just used like you looked and focused on the object and then it would pick it up. So that was really cool. And that was for like entertainment purposes. So I can imagine I would love playing video games with BCIs. But we've talked about how there's like entertainment purposes and then there's medical. But what would you say like an everyday kind of use could be for BCIs in the future that basically everyone ends up doing in the world? Mm -hmm. That's why I guess we're transitioning to protecting people's attention and uh, try to also by monitoring their brainwaves, trying to uh, help them to keep a good mental health. So initially, yes, you know, as we get bombarded with notifications uh, so much, initially just being able to read the, the brainwave, see that a person is in the zone and, and new notifications for like half an hour, for example, so that a person can work and disturb for half an hour. That, that already would be amazing. Another thing is that people do take breaks, but they take the breaks to check the news or check their feeds and these things, activities are stressful themselves. And so if we can, show the impact that different types of breaks are having on the recovery. So I guess I would pack all of this into the mental health and wellness part of it. I, feel, I guess very similar to the fitness trackers, the order rings, people have these things like 20, 10 years ago, people didn't expect to have their heartbeat available on, on their device throughout the day. And now it's like an expectation, like, it's like normal to see how well you sleep, how well your exercise routine went. So we want to achieve the same, but for the brain. Yeah, that's good to hear. And it's reassuring because there's so much new tech coming into the world and people are becoming so immersed in it and you spend less time just working on your mental health. But it's, it's good that BCIs can be used for that positive change to make sure you're balancing your mental health instead of just diving deeper into all that unhealthy stuff. But this has been really great talking to you. 
Um, it's definitely been helpful hearing about how you started as a student and you didn't really know where you were going and you entered the new world and then you, you kind of swapped your mindset and you were more open to things. And it's very interesting how you made your journey to Nurable today. So thank you for talking to us. My pleasure. Yes, it's a pleasure always to share. And it's, I wish you the, the best and the people listening to as they get into this field of BCIs.